Hello and welcome to Everyday Channel number 92, the last episode of the year. How's everybody been doing? Hey, tonight we've got Callum, Matt and me, the whole crew assembled. So Matt, what, what have you been up to lately, man? How, how's it going? We haven't had you on in, in a couple of episodes, I think. Have, have you been on another like secret mission from the government or are you just like chilling on your island? Uh, filling, you know, we're just figuring out how to distribute the vaccine to save all your asses. So, you know. Oh, are, are you taking part in that? Yes. Are, cool. are you carrying the vaccine or are you, are you administering it or how, how um, does it work? I, I mean, I'm not personally carrying it on me right now or anything, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, the, the plan will be that we will be administering as well and helping the rollout effort. Yeah. Okay, so you're not like carrying around like a vial of it just in case somebody wants it. It's like, hey, want some? Okay, cool. Here we go. I, I mean, I wish I had. The street I wish with, we could with one of those coats that you open up and there's loads of like syringes inside. Hey, you want some of this uh, COVID vaccine? That would be pretty funny though if I did have this long trench coat with all these vials yeah, yeah. in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, did did you get to play any magic lately, or how's Canada doing? Are you are you guys in lockdown as well? Like we we are here in Germany. Yeah, so I mean, there is a a do not move order, basically. So um, specifically for us, we're not supposed to, you know, visit family if we don't have to, uh, don't see friends, don't gather, etc. So very probably very similar to what you guys are under as well. So um, paper magic events are still off and have been for, you know, nine months. So it's been very tough. I know uh, I've been... I mean, you have been trying to coax me into doing magic online, but... Uh, coax. <laughs> coax me into it. Um, I just got your best interest at heart. It's know? true. I mean, if I were to go back thinking how long... If I knew how long this was going to last, maybe back in March I'd be like, yeah, I will do this. But back in March I was thinking, ah, it'll be over soon. And then in April I was like, ah, it should it should be dying down. And it, it didn't. No, it did not. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be a topic we're going to actually talk about later. How and in what ways is magic actually going to come back? Paper magic specifically going to come back next year? And how, how do we think that's going to be working out? But be, before we jump into that, Callum, how's, how's the UK? How's London holding up? How are you doing? Uh, London is pretty strictly locked down, actually. You've probably heard that we um, we are the kind givers of a new strain of the virus, uh, the, or the UK. <laughs> so I heard there's two, one from South Africa, which is pretty bad and then another one apparently originated from kent is here so we are currently in tier four lockdown which is basically you can't meet anyone else apart from your family uh, in inside and you can meet one person outside um oh wow that's the strictest i've ever heard outside of yeah. like, i guess china had a pretty strict lockdown at the very beginning as well yeah. but even in germany during our strictest times we, we could still meet with like yeah i guess one other person yeah actually that's true but that that was like in march but now we can meet i think with like up to five or something yeah so i've 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 been working because i work for um a pro audio company and i've been the one working in the warehouse and like seeing the couriers and stuff but otherwise i've not seen friends for quite a long time now so thank god for the uh the online like um the presence of, of magic online and stuff it's uh it really, I kind of underappreciate how much talking to so many friends every day in these Facebook chats and on Twitter and in Discord, especially with all the people playing Magic, it really helps get you through it because, I don't know, it kind of dawned on me, it's like, God, I've just not seen friends for so long. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we are we are very locked down, so uh, that's that. But other things, there's been things to do. Um, you've recently, recently discovered that I'm a boxing champion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did did you know about that? Um, I I googled your name because I was like looking for an image because uh, everybody, I guess not everybody, but people know we are working on a new everyday channel website. 
because in, in 2021, and I can't say too much about it yet, Everyday Turn is going to be so much more than just a podcast. So since you haven't submitted a <laughs> picture yet, I was just like, I went on Google image search and I typed in Callum Smith. And apparently you've got quite the career as a, as a fighter. I think you, you only recently got your first loss after something like 37 wins in, in mixed martial arts or something. Yeah, I've just been training so hard over the years and I started to finally start to... I gave up the loss. I, I actually lost on purpose because I wanted to dedicate more time to the, the <laughs> podcast and playing magic and stuff. But yeah, that was that was my early career. So, so, so you scooped for for your Mexican <laughs> friend that whom you lost to just because he he needed the title more than you did, or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. You know, just such oh, a kind thing to works. do. But jokes aside, obviously it's not me, and uh, this is my own fault because you have asked me like three or four times to send a picture over the last three or four weeks. So maybe I'll you get know, to. You know, I'm point. imagining you in front of Tower Bridge <laughs> and like with an awesome camera and everything. But if you can't even go out these days, we're just gonna like, I don't know, take wow. a picture of you on, on the bathroom or something, <laughs> like something really <laughs> oh weird. Okay. Because like Matt and I, we have these like semi-professional pictures, and then if you just like put the most random pixelated picture thing. of you in the middle, that would be awesome. something. I just never selfie, take, just. yeah i just never take pictures of myself i think i've done it less than five times lifetime total so i'll get around to it but in the meantime i'll be a boxer boxer you can put a picture of the boxer on the website that'll I, work i don't know if that will actually fly uh maybe not okay <laughs> but uh other things i played the really 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 fun legacy unlimited power event yesterday which was run by marco mail um I don't know if this is actually a real name, but he does the Blue Dojo Italian guy, and he's. What do you mean? That you don't know if that's actually a real name? <laughs> I, no, no, I think his name. I think his name is Marco. Then, but I'm not sure if that's actually his name. It could be like a, a screen name, whatever. Anyway, um, for those that don't know, Legacy Unlimited Power, we chatted about it a little bit before, was basically Legacy format, but with a bunch of cards unbanned. So, let me just pull the list up again quickly. I posted it a second ago, but it was like. Uh, how many cards was it? The list is extensive, by the way. Yeah, it wanna... was a lot of cards unbanned, um, which is cool because on one hand, it's cool to like try all these different things. But on the other hand, um, if if you say like a card didn't feel overpowered, it might be because it's also fighting all these insanely good cards. So there's 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 20, 26 cards unbanned. So... I'll run through it really quickly just because there are some really interesting ones on there. So we had cool. We had Wheel of Fortune, Talarian Academy, Survival of the Fittest, Skull Clamp, Goblin Recruiter, Mental Misstep, Mind Twist, Memory Jar, Renin Six, Windfall, Dig Through Time, Fast Bond, Frantic Search, Gitaxian Probe, Hermit Druid, Imperial Seal, Lurus of the Dream Den, Mana Drain, Earthcraft, Senses Divine Top, Deathrite Shaman, Treasure Cruise, Yorgmoth's Bargain, Balance, Oath of Druids, and Zerd of the Dawn Waker. Um, quick note on the Lurus and Zerda because it was played in Magic Online they couldn't um, change how they actually work so I think if they're actually doing this in paper they might have said that you don't have to pay the three mana to put them in your hand but for the sake of Magic Online they're unbanned so um, I wanted to build a Tlerian Academy deck because I think it's probably the best card on the list um, like, I don't think anything really comes close it's so absurdly powerful I guess balance is up there considering that you get to play four copies of it yeah, balance could have been good. You need like fast mana with balance. I felt like to play that, they actually it actually goes in a very similar deck to Tularan Academy because you want to play fast mana so you can empty your hand and play less lands. So like you just make your opponent sack lands, sack creatures, and discard their hand. So I did like um, think about blue white like Echo of Eons, Hold Breacher, Tularan Academy thing with balances maybe in the sideboard. 
but in the end i kind of forgot about it and ran out of time and i played a um like a countertop mentor deck which i know some people like i got a few uh, people saying god this is a bit boring but i played <laughs> in the uh, the uh, legacy unchained thing we did and it was just absurdly powerful and really fun so it didn't have any terminus but it had like two mentors and then four ba- four counterbalance four sensitive iron top and then loads of cantrips a couple of dazes dig through times and a few source of plowshares and stuff and um yeah it's the kind of deck i enjoy when it's blue like it, it it's hard control and then it just like flips it plays a mentor and then kills you the next turn so it's like a combo finish basically um roll. how did you do i did not bad so i went three and two i overslept and <laughs> lost round one so that was a, that was a tough starting it started at 9 30 9 a.m my time I put an alarm on. I was like, I've got to wake up for it. I want to do it. And then woke up, woke up at like 20 to 10. I was like, oh, God damn it. Um, so yeah, lost that first round. Then rattled off three wins. So I'll say what I played against because it was some cool stuff. So round one, round two, technically, I played against um, Blue White Red, like Young Pyromancer Mentor with Treasure Cruise and Skull Clamp. Oh, and then obviously that. Probe Skull and Mystic. Skull Clamp and Young Pyromancer. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm, ha- I'm having the most severe flashbacks, but this is this is next level. It, I like it, it. Yeah, it seemed obscenely powerful. I um, I squeaked out a two zero win, but like the games were close. I hit one or two, not like every single one, but one or two like key counterbalance flips. Um, and like they got a skull in game one, they got a skull clamp down on turn two, and I kind of fought through a couple of activations on tokens and like all the card advantage, and then I eventually got a counterbalance stick. So. I think they skull clamped two, maybe three creatures, probably two, and cast two or three treasure cruisers, but counterbalance just undid all of that by not really letting their spells resolve, so it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, that deck seemed super powerful, and both games were fairly close. It just came down to counterbalance, which I also played because I thought that people would be playing all these cheap spells, obviously. So it was just very well positioned in the in the make-believe format. Did you play the Texian Probe as well? Yes, yes. So I... I my curve, so we'll here in round five, I lost a chalice pretty hard. My curve was like <laughs> half the deck is one drop. So I took a gamble that people wouldn't play chalice because there was a lot of really powerful two drops unbanned. So there's like Oath of Druids, Goblin Recruiter, Survivor of the Fittest, Mandrain, Hermit Druid. Yeah, but then, but then that's <laughs> yeah. why you play the chalice. You play like chalice and you play Eldrazi and then you boost into Giant Mind Twist and just screw yeah. everyone. Yeah, wasn't that actually one of the most successful decks in Legacy Unchained as well? Uh, the the Eldrazi in Texas deck. Eldrazi was it, straight yeah. up the best form performing deck. Um, whoa, 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 whoa! Elves went far away as well. Did it? Yes. Okay. Elves and Eldrazi in Texas <laughs> were the two both Fine. best performing decks in that. Well, I remember <laughs> Colorless Eldrazi also doing very well. Like, I think it went like eight and one or something. And the Eldrazi decks played zero unbanned cards, which is always the most impressive. Mm-hmm. Cyrus played one with Mind Twist, but um. Yeah, and he said it was the worst card in the deck, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did play against Mind Twist in the event, though. So round two, or my round two, round three, technically, I play against um, Pietro in a 10, who's been like doing really well with Arclight Phoenix Doomsday decks in Normal Legacy, which is cool. He was playing uh, Bug Delver. or oh, I didn't see Delvers, actually. Maybe it was just like Bug, like uh, Team Meriki style. He had Death Rites, he had Goyf's Dark Confidence, and then I saw a, um, a Dark Ritual, and then he tried to mind twist me for like five in game two. I ended up having like all the answers and stuff, uh, as blue white decks annoyingly do. But uh, 
that was pretty cool that he was like playing this mid-range deck that just went like he also had Lurises, so that combines with um just like the random duck value Lurises? yes I, I would assume like at least one or two in the main deck it wasn't companion so that's another use for dark rituals to just throw it out there and then rebuy mishra's baubles quickly and death right shaman and stuff like that uh so yeah that's kind of cool um and then third round, I played against... Oh, God, I'm blanking now. I played against Delver, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I just really beat quickly beat a Delver deck with Counterbalance again. And then the last round is where I played against the eventual winner who was playing, like, Urza Echoes, but with Teleron Academy. And Jesus Christ, Academy is so broken. Was, <laughs> I, who would have thought? I know, it's crazy, crazy to think. I don't... He wasn't playing anything else off the, off the list. Um... But yeah, I got completely hosed by Chalice. But I, I had game in game two. I like got to a point where I'd countered Chalices, and we were kind of roughly top decking. But um, he was just tapping Academy for like five blue mana easily each time, and like just double spelling. And like I got him down to pretty low life. But if that was an ancient tomb, I probably would have killed him and stuff like that. But yeah, Academy was doing some really nasty stuff. And the so jumping ahead, he did actually win, and the top four, it was like five rounds cuts top four. He the the other two three decks were Delver decks. So there was one straight blue red with like Swift Spear and then obviously probes and cruises and missteps. There was a rug or there was a four colour Delver with Death Right Shamans, and then oh, I think there was another four colour Delver. <laughs> Maybe yeah. There was just a lot of Delver, a lot of Death Rights, a lot of probes and treasure cruises. So they said that for the next one they won't have that like set of stuff like having probe and misstep and treasure cruise was just too strong for the tempo decks um but i think it's cool to try stuff out like i think they said it in a way that was like oh it kind of ruined the event having delver too good but it's it's cool to just have this stuff and see it happen once and then you don't have to do it again so um Has the deck list been posted somewhere i think so i will check after we finish recording and we'll put it in the show notes i know that they at least posted the witness deck list so um yeah we'll post that in the show notes um <laughs> If not, I'll, f- I'll find the rest of the lists and get them together. Um, but yeah, I really, really urge everyone else to do it next time. It's like it was like ten euros to enter, pretty, pretty cheap, and then all the all the um, entries were enterprises, so they weren't making money off it. It was just a really fun thing to play. Oh, so, it, so, so it wasn't done through Mealy, or how did they actually set it up? No, they did it just through Discord. So you just PayPal them, and then they mm-hmm. ran through like the Wizards event reporter, and then just told you who you're playing against, and you set up. It was really nice. Everyone was in the Discord chatting. It was really cool. So I had a great time, even uh, after waking up late. Do we already know when when the next event is going to take place? Um, no, not yet. It sounds like something that would be actually like really cool to stream if, if totally. it's like not something that's hyper super competitive in the sense that you're playing for like thousands of dollars because then probably everybody's going to be playing the academy deck and like yeah. academy and anti academy and then academy still comes out ahead like flashbacks to 20 years prior <laughs> yeah i mean i i would love to do this this kind of events like 10 times just because or more because there's so many cars i like to try out like i mean off the off that list i played it oh i didn't play against the second delver deck i played against nathan lippets playing um ruby storm with wheel of fortunes oh, okay. which is pretty cool and i had like splash light splash of green for veil i will say as terrifying as veil is for blue decks playing missteps makes it so much easier to manage obviously so I was like, when I saw him play a tiger first and then start doing the Ruby Storm stuff, I was like, oh my god, Veil's going to crush me. But then I was like, oh, I've got all these missteps that don't, don't count to anything else. So it's pretty easy. 
<laughs> but um oh i just have all these missteps yeah yeah it, it was a very very controlling deck but there's so many powerful cards that people didn't even or i didn't see people try i didn't see fast bond decks or oath of druid decks or hermit druid decks or imperial seal um one of my hot takes is i think imperial seal vampiric tutor and mystical tutor are massively overrated by people and they would probably be okay in legacy currently so. hold on guys but the gentleman's <laughs> agreement yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, that that thing was. It, it, it's kind of it says a lot about the state of legacy. Um, that if we look back at certain cards that have been banned, you you think, dude, we could just like unban this and it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, it's. I'm, I guess that that goes totally in a different direction. I'm not even sure which decks would actually play Mystical Tutor these days. Uh, maybe you know Doomsday is the first one that comes to mind because they play yeah. Limdul Sword. It's really good and, with Terminus. That's one thing. Yeah, I mean, it would yeah, be good but, with Terminus. Terminus. I think Reanimator. Doesn't Reanimator still probably play it again? Maybe. Yeah, but they don't play blue. That's the yeah. issue. I, oh, I, that's I really, right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think it's just slow, and this is Legacy has so many answers to everything now. Like going down a card is such a huge cost. So. Yeah, yeah. that does even a thing in Vintage where people are like, "Should we really play Imperial Seal?" and it's probably Imperial Seal and like Vampiric Tutor. I, I don't even usually have Imperial, uh, Imperial Seal. And yeah. I also am not a big fan of casting Imperial Tutor and Vintage outside of like, I guess, broken, like Perfect Storm decks. Yeah. It's those it's kind good, of cards are the like most started out cards. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think that the biggest thing about those cards is, is when you get to play them in a format that's not as explosive as Vintage. And then you also get to use them for, you know, um, silver bullets from the sideboard. Like, the. When you have something like Vampiric Tutor on your deck and you played Legacy, you could have some serious spice in your sideboard and still That's get away true. with it pretty well because you'd have like a couple of tutors. And that would probably like hose a bunch of decks even more. And I think it would overall make for a worse environment. So while it's, it might not even be overpowered, but it, it would probably like disproportionately hose more That's dedicated fair. decks. I'd be very interested to see if it like is actually. It's obviously like a good combo card, but it might even be just worse for combo because these fair decks could like. I don't know, sideboard two vamps and then all these one-offs, like you say. And then just always have that collector roof. Always always have that mind break trap. Always have this and that. Well, like, with Green Zenith, you already have the collector roof. You're good yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, and, and speaking of, like, abusing your sideboard, um, Jeff Lynn actually uh, posted something really interesting. Um, did, did he actually, like, post it on his Twitter as well? I think he did, he did yeah. so we can talk about it. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to somewhat make up for the fact that like it's a really interesting concept first of all it's i think an 80 card yorian deck and the initial idea is you go to 80 cards so on average your sideboard cards are going to be worth a little less because you're going to draw them less but since your sideboard cards are overall worth a little less and now like there's the next level to it you can instead play silver bullets in the sideboard using living vision your main deck and the fact that you have less actual sideboard slots for dedicated sideboard cards because of Living Wish is not as big of an issue anymore because those sideboard slots were slightly worse anyway, while they still remain at the same quote-unquote EV for Living Wish. So I think from a strategic point of view, from a deck building point of view, that's super interesting and I, I wonder how he's going to do with it. I, I think Yorin is just like the worst thing ever. And I, 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 I hate it. It's not even like the, the card or the gameplay. I just like that. I, I like that it's made us really question uh, deck sizes, at least. I think it's it's brought some interesting discussions. Like a lot of people are so made up in their mind. They're just like 
tell you straight up like oh my god 80 cards is just wrong and i love that dnt has two builds 160 180 and there's merits to both i think it's super cool um because it's just always been accepted that 60 or in some people's cases 61 is the right number not looking at you elves discord no. <laughs> but um Dude, we, we've had champions who played like 82 cards oh yeah yeah max million max something the german guy. to see yeah yeah but um i gotta say on the living wish idea i'm pretty skeptical on those kind of cards they always look better on paper They're like oh my god we have all this utility but the cost of paying two mana for something that doesn't affect the board these days is pretty slow like even playing something like elves that has a lot of mana when you're like casting a green sun zenith for one of your creatures you do really feel that one extra mana yeah. so i think living wish could work in something with like aether vial because you want a really big boost of mana or maybe in like a more dedicated uh uh what's it called carpet of flowers deck you want more than you want like a a large ramp not just off mana dogs as well so yeah uh, i think imagine being in a situation where your, your opponent casts dreadhold arcanist and you end up and cast living vision yeah like, just, yeah I'm, I'm doing something wrong here <laughs> yeah you just you just the first three or four turns of the game you need to be doing things more than that yeah. but as I said, with Vial, like, I love the idea of going turn one Vial and then you start living wishing for something and get to Vial it in straight away. Like, that sounds appealing, but otherwise I'm not so sure. Um, what about you, Julian? What have you been up to and uh, what have you got planned for the future? Uh, yeah, like I said, 2021, I'm working on a lot of projects and I, I know I keep saying this all the time, but it's like a lot of things going on. Uh, one of the, the things that are going to come to fruition, fruition whatever, the, rather soon is the new Everyday Journal website, which is going to have like a bunch more stuff than just the podcast. Uh, like the general ideas, we really want to make Everyday Journal like a legacy thing, not only a podcast, but also a place where you go for tournaments, where you go for videos. Articles, I don't know, because those are usually the most time intensive. But if, if you've got a good article coming, we can also th- think about like publishing that. And yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. I'm getting a ton of help from Min. Like I can't stress how much help I'm getting from Min because Min is actually like this this wizard. He he's got like these skills where he he looks at a computer and then he he smashes his finger on the keyboard and. <laughs> all, all of a sudden like magic things start happening on screen i i just like recently did my first ever thing where i edited like a css file and i just felt like beginner level wizard compared to his his crazy powers so yeah he's he, helping me out a ton with that and yeah other than playing magic i am i'm also playing um quite a bit of borderlands 3 i, I really want to get to finish that game because i, I don't know if, if you've ever played borderlands but the humor and that kind of game that's just like what what i really enjoy and yeah that's that's I, I gotta make dedicated time for gaming because otherwise I'm always getting lost in all kinds of projects. And then I also want to stream and then you're like up until four in the morning and you're like, okay, this is this is not how it's supposed to go. So I think that's one of the biggest things to always like make dedicated time for, for something else. And I, I hope I, I will succeed with that later tonight, but but we will see. Mm-hmm. And yeah, other than that, I played in what's basically was one of the highest profile legacy events of the year um the legacy showcase qualifier which correct me if i'm wrong is basically the the 24 people plus um, last chance qualifier event and the winner gets to go to i want to say the pro tour but they call it like the Kaltheim championships now but also the magic online championships and all of that combined so you gotta see this was a 26 person event and the winner gets a guaranteed minimum payout through all of these events they qualify for of like $7,000 and probably like up to way, way more depending on how you do. So that's, this was like a really bad. big deal. 
Yeah, that's not bad. It says our resident dentist. That, that's how much <laughs> Matt charges for like implants, right? <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. But yeah, these events are pretty. The pretty big deal. Um, as you said, the first, it's it's very top heavy. Like second place gets fifty chests or something. First place gets <laughs> seven grand. It's incredibly top heavy. But um, I played in one early this year as well, off the back of Breach. And uh, yeah, it's super fun to play in a higher stakes tournament. So. How did it go? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I wasn't too excited for my chances. Um, yeah. I actually played Elves the day before in our league and I randomly five out without even trying all that much, uh, just because it read like, like, how do you say, like a hot knife through butter, like really mm-hmm. easily. Um, but I, I wasn't too excited about this event because I figured people would be prepared for Elves because it's a tiny event. And I expected about four people to play Elves. So if you get, if you get like four people out of something like 24 people playing Elves here, and considering how, how much easier the deck is, to hate compared to say i don't know land snowco rock delva like those general types of decks i figured people would probably like arrive with um an unhealthy amount of, of hate and i wanted to play something else but the only thing that would really make sense to me was to play rock delva and yeah i i felt it would be weird to go around and ask a couple of people for their rock delva list because most of the people i was going to ask were going to play in the event itself turns out daniel whom i wanted to ask actually ended up playing buck mid-range mm-hmm. which is a deck I, I think we if the results are going to be here we can link them in show notes but it's basically like a as the name implies a back mid-range deck that's just like it's there to destroy your creature and count off your broken stuff and then eventually just randomly get you with i guess oko and uro <laughs> once yeah. again so sounds, sounds like that, the same kind of play style as any of the snow decks kill stuff yeah, count yeah. stuff then uro oko yeah actually did, did you get to take a look at the list is it actually that different from uh, from the he, he did decks? he did actually send it to me or maybe he told me he, he just told me um that he was playing playing snowco or a bugs thing he posted another one on twitter today or yesterday that had Greenson Zenith, but I think that's not what he played. Did you see Greenson Zenith? Um, I think he didn't play Greenson Zenith. Okay, but... I, th- I think this was just another idea for taking the deck further. But um, he he was playing like six or seven basic lands and prismatic vistas and stuff, which I think is another nice little direction you could take it to just never be wastelanded against Delver and stuff. My from the ashes are now useless. Yeah, uh, non basic hate is not not doing great these days. Although Wasteland is still obscenely good. Um, there's always this running joke about people saying, oh, I can't waste on anything. It's like, oh, being Wasteland is not a fun or interesting part of the thing. It's it's a nice um, card to have in the format to keep things kind of honest, but I don't know. Um, yeah, the thing is about Wasteland, it's there so people don't go crazy and, and go don't go too degenerate. Yeah. But right now, the exact opposite is happening. The decks that are the most immune to Wastelands are the ones doing the degenerate 4-5 well, color stuff. <laughs> I don't think it's as important to be like... I mean, yeah, it's it's good to police all the um, the 5 color stuff if it can. But I think it's mostly good to police Dark Depths and Cloud Post because those are like obscenely powerful lands. And even stuff like Caracas can can be pretty annoying like and obnoxious sometimes. But... Can you imagine Dark Depths in the format without Wasteland? Like It would just be obscene. <laughs> so it, it does a lot of good things in the format. I don't think it should all be tied to can it punish mana bases and stuff and can they cast their spells, blah, blah. I think it's it's just a, a key to keeping the format in place. Like There's a lot of these little keys. I'm looking at the deck list right now that uh, Daniel posted. Mm-hmm. And he, he like in the post below, he actually posted the actual deck list and it doesn't have Greens and Senate. Okay. It runs... Basically, the removal of choices two Dead of Winter, three Sylvan Library, through or dude, this actually looks a lot like the Rock Delva deck he played, but just without Delva. 
because yeah. it's, got, it's got that like seven library euro interaction and then fatal pushes as as removal of choice i'm actually wondering what that's really good giving you over over five color i guess you yeah i'm not I'm, how many basics really do you sure. have is it oh a ton of basics like yeah six i think he went heavier on that and he said he played against combo twice and he was very badly uh set up to play against combos that was the thing yeah the main deck you, you don't have any kind of really like any kind of pressure i guess that that's yeah combo overall seems like something you don't really want to face with this and not having access to blast is probably going to hurt you ground seed is something that's that's kind of cute i i really like ground seed as a card it basically answers mm-hmm. all of the dreaded arcanists that that they can get and then you also get some random value or you know against any kind of like graveyard decks that are trying to do stuff with radiation yeah. or lomo or, or what have you is, is there anything in hogak i guess not not really. in hogak um it also like delver decks are also bringing in surgical furrows so you protect your arrows against that as well as shut mm-hmm. off dreadful darkness so which is pretty nice yeah, I like that's something we should be looking into in, in elves. Yeah, that's, 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 that's I, I was like while I was playing elves when I went through my um, little spurt of it, I was trying a few different things, and every time I played one of these kind of utility non uh, game plan focused non removal spells, it always felt like a waste of mana. Because I even tried um, absolute law because I was so sick of getting <laughs> um, blazing volleyed. And I did five zero a league with that, but I didn't play against any delver in it, obviously. But I was just so sick of being blazing volleyed over and over again, so I tried that. And I played in other leagues against Delver, and I could get forced a couple of times and stuff, and one game it did completely shut them down. But every time I was casting, I was like, okay, well, I'm casting this rather than an Elvish Visionary, which is drawing to all all the things you need to actually just kill them. So, yeah, I found it a hard deck to actually play non-removal spells and non-elves in, which is weird, because there's so many utility cards you could play. You have so many options with the mana and stuff, but... Yeah, I think Ground Seal will probably just end up in the same thing. Yeah, it's just like not versatile enough. That's the, yeah. the biggest thing. I would. Yeah. It has some versatility, but for for the stuff that devs actually need to help against, there's really only Dreadhought Arcanist. And to, in order to fight that, we're maxing out on Abrupti Case, if, if that's like the number one thing. I actually built the, the air stack in a way to to be better against Diver, but I still lost like two or three times to it in, in the showcase qualifier. Like I did really horribly in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's that that was my event. I, I didn't have high hopes and I was still under underwhelmed with my results. <laughs> yeah, it, it was I mean, so we've got the um, we can just jump over to that now. We've got the total decks played, right? So it was 26 players. Uh, we had five Rug Delver, five Snowco, two Bomberman, two Doomsday, two Elves, two Blue Red Delver, and then Singletons of Cloudpoth, Death and Taxes, Hogak, Carneco, Lands, Omitel, one other, and Tez. It seems exactly what you'd kind of expect um, without actually specifically pinpointing all the players. Um, seems like a kind of a usual amount of Rug Delver and Snowco compared to what we see in the challenges and main data coming in. And then there are a lot of other decks which are strong. I guess like Blue Red Delver is pretty close to going with Rug Delver as well. Um, was there anything you found surprising with it? Uh, the the Bomberman Garuda deck was rather surprising. I think Michael Bonda and this other player... Kanakan. Kar- yeah, they, they played that. And I, I was quite surprised to see to see Michael reveal Garuda in game two. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you been keeping up with Kanakan's results though? Um, Not at all. So it's a Japanese player. And I think the past month, maybe pushing month and a half, they have just been winning so, so much. So they, on one weekend, they they won both challenges uh, a few what? weeks ago. What? Really? Yeah. What? 
Um, they've oh, also, oh that, that was them? Yeah, I think they've topated huh. oh, four I, or five challenges with this deck at least. And they're always oof. being posted in the 5-0s. And following them on Twitter, they're just always 5-0-ing. So, um, they're a machine. Yeah, this deck is not like a kind of a quick thing that they've put together. Like Michael's seen their results and uh, copied it from them. So, yeah, it's it's... I've played against it a few times and it's surprising because they threaten this fast mana in these combos. And then they have um what's the what's the name of the creature? Four mana three two. When ETBs you search for two creatures of mana cost one or less. Ranger uh, of Eos? Ranger of Eos. There's two Ranger of Eos in the deck. Is it Olivier or Antoine? I think it's Antoine Royal's invitation I card. Is it? Ah, I should know that, yeah. Um so they have like two of that, and then this is their fair plan. Like they go and get uh, either Stone Cold Serpent or Walking Ballista, which are obviously X spells, so just pump all this big mana into. And they're still threatening the Bomb Man combo, they're threatening the Garuda, they have Khans, uh, they have some removal spells in the main deck of Warping Whale. Um, it's It looks really janky, but it's actually a lot better than you think. And it, I, Yeah. Is there, but there's also the Bomb Man combo in there, because I, I was going to yeah. say, dude, that sounds like something I want to stream with, but streaming the Bomb Man combo is always like, bleh. For what it's worth, every time I've lost to it, I've not lost to the Bomb Man combo. I've just lost to like either Khan Lattice eventually after dealing with everything else, or Beats. I've just lost to Stone Cold Serpents being six sixes. And I mean, Stone Cold Serpent is really good against Delver. It can't be Okoed, and then it's <laughs> gonna it's gonna be bigger than Lightning Bolt probably a lot of the time. Yeah, I was just surprised when when Michael went turn one Asaurus Signet of Ancient Tomb. It, it, it felt <laughs> like I was playing in a cube draft or something. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Let's post it up on the when we release the cast. Yeah, it's definitely going to be in the show notes if, if we can find that elusive list um, that somehow has, has slipped my watchful eye. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll grab it. I'll grab it. So, yeah, otherwise, as we said, the rest of the event seemed pretty standard. We had what is now shaping up to be just the uh, the heading of the end of this year, which was uh, Five Color Snoko versus Rug Delver in the finals. And uh, Five Color Snoko by, say, Winnie Nav. Was that how you'd say it? W N I hyphen N A V. I yeah. have no idea. Vnav. Um, they won it with five color snowco. So congrats to them. And uh, runner up QB Turtle with Rug Delver. They are like a prolific grinder online of every single format. I know that they played the standard challenge at the same time as this event. So <laughs> uh, yeah, they they just grind, grind, grind. Um, but heading over from that, we were going to cover because this is like a kind of end of year wrap up episode we're going to cover what's happened this year which is quite a lot so we're going to like jump over things which are big in the format and stuff but um why don't you kick us off with uh, where this year or maybe extended year started with such a so many shifts in the format so many changes it's been hard to keep up at times i think it's fair to say yeah, I think if we, if you ask me, the period of legacy that we are, the era of legacy that we're living in, that we're playing in, actually kind of started even in like summer, uh, autumn 2018 when Deathrite Shaman and Cataxian Probe were banned, because that left like this huge vacuum that, that people tried to fill because all of a sudden like so many decks were certain, I don't, I don't want to say not playable anymore because like stuff like Elves and, and, and some Deathrite Shaman uh, decks survived. But yeah, it really changed the face of Legacy. And I think for a while, nobody really knew what was going on. And then there was actually Renin 6 and Dreadhought Arcanist. And I was actually quite surprised to hear that Dreadhought Arcanist was released in May 2019. So actually quite a while ago, because it really only felt like 
it started becoming this this actual big issue for the format uh earlier this year so that that's why we're reaching this far back just to put like put things into perspective um the third chairman at uh, there are taught arcanist was released in may 2019 then we basically lived through a summer and a winter of red and six before it was banned right before gp in bologna and that leaves us with snow suddenly emerging as as the big deck at the forefront of the format right that, mm-hmm. that happened basically around around the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. I remember training for a tournament in the States, um, which I went to in February in Seattle, a large legacy tournament, and uh, playing against all the Snowco decks and, uh, you know, really uh, grinding because that was going to be the matchup to ex- that I was expecting to see. And uh, it was. But then, breach. <laughs> breach, breach, breach. That, that little thing. This is one of the fastest bands ever, right? We had a quick yeah, talk before starting. It depends on how you count, right? We we were talking about this earlier. Um, Flash, I think, was banned even faster uh, faster when you account for that it basically became a new card once it got errata. Uh, but yeah, Red and Six and Breach, those are banned incredibly quickly. Yeah. Breach was, was it a month or two months? I think it was two or three months. Two. Or maybe so here's two my yeah, Bad Beats right. Breach story. Okay, I'm like 2-0 in the tournament in Seattle. I face off against Jeremy Edwards, which is a very prolific um, player in Seattle who's kind of right along my brainwave. And he, I was hoping he wasn't playing Breach. He was playing Breach. In game two, I lost game one. I was playing Enchantress. Game two, I open a hand of Deafening Silence, Deafening Silence, Rest in Peace, Sarah Sanctum, Forest, something else. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I should be fine, right? There's how many planes in the deck, how many fetch lines, how many savannas. Like, this is like the... And I think... One, two, yeah, so it's the sixth card, I mulled away the seven. I'm like, this is like the five can't get any better than this, right? So I'm like, okay, keep. And then I proceed to not draw a white source for four turns and then get crushed. So I'm just saying I'm salty about <laughs> Breach. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the deck was absurd because, I mean, not only was it like a very fast combo deck capable of turn ones, um, it had Forcible as well to protect the combo or fight other combo decks. And I won one of the showcase challenges online uh, uh, with Breach during it. And I had played maybe a league at best before picking up. But I, I knew about it. I was building decks at the time to try and fight it and stuff. And the amount of hate I slogged through was obscene. I was playing against... Like, there was... One of the decks doing well was kind of a five-color agrolome, you could call it. Like, chalices and... It had so much hate. It was playing Deafening Silences as well, and Chalices on zero stopped the combo. It had Collector Roofs stopping the combo. It had so much stuff. And Lay Down in the Void as well, of course. I played that a couple of times. I played against Delvers with like all the usual stuff. I played against uh, Blue Black Shadow with like Thought Seizers, Hymns, Dazes Force, Flusters, Graft Diggers, Cages, everything. And the deck just kept crushing everything. And then, because it's, again, like this combo deck with all the fast mana. So you have these fast kills with Force of Will. And then you have access to, like, Serenity, which is just one of the easily castable Serenities, one of the most powerful anti-kind of permanent uh, hate cards you can have in the sideboard. And then you can just pivot into Mentor. And the deck was so good because you can you had to have your opponent able to answer everything. So you have people, like, you sometimes would... Uh, I had a click in my sideboard, and I sometimes click them, and I see they have, like, two Lightning Bolts and a Plague Engineer in their hand. And I've got a mentor on my hands. Okay, well, now I'll just brainstorm this away and go for the combo side. And, you know, it just had, it was so easy to shift um, game plans and the mentor side was so powerful. And it had tutors as well and intuition. It was, 
I think it's probably the best legacy deck I've ever played. Yeah, it feels like it's one of the decks where where we sometimes say it's the closest to playing Vintage and Legacy we've we've ever gotten, right? It's, yeah, I think it's currently arguably called touted as one of the best decks in Vintage now, so, which makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's always the thing when, when you play combo decks, like... Not like random combo decks of oh I do something and it's probably gonna win me ga- the game, but this is this is deterministic pretty much, yeah. And it requires so few slots. And whenever you've got that coming together and that deck is like base blue, that you, then you know you've got a monster right in front of you. And I think it's actually kind of crazy that the majority of players, uh, I, I, I mean, for as many people as there are who play Magic Online, the majority of players will never have like fully experienced what it means to to be to be breached. a magic legacy player <laughs> in a breach meta game yeah because it was so short and um probably for a lot of good but i gotta <laughs> i gotta put my hands up and say it was one of the most fun decks i've ever played it it deserves uh-huh. to be banned and it'll stay banned forever i'm sure but but um god it was fun it's playing super broken stuff is uh is quite a kick didn't somebody actually like when we were talking in, in some chat yesterday ask about whether breach could be unbanned in legacy, I, I, that, 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 that was Tony, and he was totally joking. I think he. he oh, hit, okay. Totally. He hooked you Tony with a fishing actually line. Been lying to me for years <laughs> about his identity. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nothing. That's easy. Yeah. I, I, I decide not to step in, but uh, he, he tells a couple of fibs to you. Um, but, but yeah, uh, breach times, like they didn't even unban it for the uh, the unban events. But um, if they do, I'm so playing it. And there's always this sick thought of the people that love Breach. We just keep joking like, oh, remember like Breach? And what if they, um, it got banned not uh, soon before Lurus got printed. Can you imagine Lurus being the companion of the Breach deck? (laughs) That sounds like a place I want to live in. (laughs) Like um, just rebuying the Breaches that got counted or discarded and then Lurus rebuying Serenity. That sounds really fun to me. But uh, moving on. So Breach was banned in March, which honestly feels like forever ago. I mean, we've had a crazy year of non-magic stuff as well, but magic stuff has been non-stop. In May, we had the companions come out. Most notably, like Lurus and Zerda just completely flipped the format on top of their head. Because this is when, after Breach Ban in March, we, as Matt said, this is when we started to see Snow like rear its head again. Like Oko and Uro, obviously. Had Uro come out by then? Yes. Yes. Um, Uro was kind of starting to catch on. It was People weren't sure on at the beginning because it was like, Oh, this is a seven mana card. It's slow. It's it's blue. It's susceptible to graveyard hate. It it took a while to catch on. Only uh, Chase was playing it a lot, and um, I was playing it in lots of anti breach decks because by playing it, I could shore up like the fair matchups just with Uro, and then allow you to play loads of breach hate basically. And that was a sign of things to come. I should have actually jumped into it more. I just said like, okay, Uro is so good against fair that I can have the rest of the deck be anti combo. It's kind of um, crazy how Legacy went from a format where like Tarmogolf was the be-all, end-all mm-hmm. to a 6-6 Tarmogolf that draws your card and gains life all the time. Like it yeah. comes back from the graveyard and stuff. <laughs> Dude. I mean, does, yes, does cost a lot more mana, but, but yeah. yeah. But but it's, it's interesting. We've had this like snow thing. It just feels like a kind of whack-a-mole thing where we saw snow and then Breach came out and then it, it reared its head again and then Companions came out and then it reared its head again. So it's always been this... It's almost like, like there's something going on there, maybe. Maybe we should... You know, God forbid. Yeah, man. all these mumble, mumble, old man, <laughs> shake-fisted <something>. sky. <laughs> but um, the companions—it's—it's it's another thing where I think 
the the companion meta was the most fun I've had playing Legacy this year. I don't think it would have been able to carry on if if um we had like maybe even just two or three more months of it. I think even myself would have been sick of it. But the Lurus mirrors were like yeah. incredibly complex and like just trading resources, managing mana. There was nothing too snowbally because like Oko and Uro basically were almost non-existent at that time because they were just so much worse than Lurus and Zerda. And um, yeah, we had, we saw obviously so Grixis Delver was like the de facto Lurus deck, um, but then we yeah. saw the Zerda like kind of Turbo Khan decks with the combos that was, and then we saw the Bant Zerda decks as well. Yeah, I think the the Lurus mirrors especially were some of the deepest, most interesting legacy magic i've ever played i, I remember yeah. streaming it at, at um one stream and i almost timed out in almost all of my games <clears throat> just because mm-hmm. it was so deep and so interesting and i think one interesting thing about lurus was that when when you played those mirrors it wasn't always that much about beatdown and tempo it was really you're like fighting for position and and almost feeling like you're, you're playing some kind of chess game <clears throat> to a degree you're like locking horns and you just you had to shove back at the point where your opponent is shoving you at and stuff yeah, and you, you constantly felt like you were in a position where you could, like, resolve Lurus, replay something from the graveyard, but then you knew it would immediately die because mm-hmm. you, you just, like, didn't have the mana to, to protect it. And you, you you both remained in that state for, like, so many turns until eventually, like, it, it, it might even get, get to a point where, where one player feels like, oh, maybe I have to discard now, maybe I should really just, like, make something happen now. And th- then you get into your Lurus and... As usual, you would replay your bobble, um, and then you would be hit by a lightning bolt, and then you might mm-hmm. fight over that. But in, in the end, the outcome was always the same, unless something something crazy happened. And yeah, the, that kind of like fighting for position, I I enjoyed that a lot overall. Yeah. Like with the general meta game in mind, I think I mean it's not a it's not surprising to see that it really hurt all the other decks that were not playing Lurus. But yeah, it it, it literally was Lurus and Zerda versus nothing else towards the end which i think it was especially hard for the the paper, uh, paper players like online we were doing the stuff and when you see the results come in like this format that you love it's just turned into a zoo because you have all these companions <laughs> and it's just like i can totally understand the point of view of like what's happened to my format what the fuck is this um and you you don't like what it looks like but the gameplay itself was yeah, fascinating. And there were a lot of different variants. So we said, obviously, Delva was at the head of it. There was a lot. There was like the blue-white tempo deck that Jeff played that you liked a lot. Um, I call it blue-white tempo, but it was like the uh, Fathom Seer, Knight of the White Orchid stuff, which was um, oh yeah yeah so yeah, cool. yeah yeah yeah. That was amazing. That, that was, was actually that. Oh my god! Yeah, that I wish was that so could, cool. could ever come back. And Cataclysm main deck and stuff. Um, there was like the Grixis control deck that I'd made with of one mind and stuff. That was like the bigger Delva deck. There was um, there was more. Um, there was miracles with uh, brought back counterbalance and stuff. I guess you guys called it lyricals. Lyricals, oh, yeah. That, that name makes me shudder. That's, a, that's <laughs> the worst legacy deck name ever. It was such a compact uh, deck. It was just like such a low curve and had all the answers and stuff. Um, yeah. So as I said, kind of glad it was over when it was over. I'd love to see Lyris unbanned now, but with the new companion rule, I think it'd be a super powerful card. Um, but not obviously anywhere near as oppressive as before. But it'd be cool for like DNT to be able to recruit it for it and stuff. But it blows my mind that they actually like they had Lurus and they they were like yeah sure let's just like cast it from the sideboard. Yeah. Oh my god! Remember remember the white weenie deck as well with like oh, Isamaru with the, 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 and stuff with all the legends and stuff. Yeah. That used the the, the mox what what's it called mox, mox something 
Mox Amber, yeah, yeah, that's the one that you can only use when, when you control like a legend or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Taps for a manner of uh, the color identity of a legend you control. Yeah, I, I thought it was so smart to, to combine it with Caracas. Then I realized, oh no, that that, that doesn't do anything. So people played <laughs> no, Zamaru no. and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't like work with Khan and stuff, but yeah, I think that was purpose. actually okay. That that white weenie deck, like yeah. you look at it and it had like all these horrible cards, and then you still somehow lost to it, and you're like, what the fuck? But yeah, Lurus man. Yeah, it was good, really good. <laughs> so we got past that, and then at the end of that, that was the quote unquote end until you've got a new set coming soon, probably of the, all the really broken stuff. So we'd had Renesix, uh, Breach, and Companions basically banned in the wake of the Death Rite and Pro bannings, and then. Everyone said, even before the Companions were banned, everyone knew that they were going to be banned eventually or something happened to them. And everyone said, as soon as that happens, Oko and Uro come back. And they have um, since May, I guess. Oh, and the Companions came out, came out in May. So when since the Companions were banned, we've seen a pretty constant like domination. Or maybe that's quite a bit too strong of uh, the Snow Cone no, shell. No, it's, it's spot on. Domination yeah. is spot on yeah. with regards to Snow Cone drug driver. Yeah. It's weird because, um, as we mentioned before, Dredge of Darkness came out ages ago, but it's been very slow to catch on. I think Oko has a really big part in that because before Oko, uh, Chalice decks were played way more and Chalice does just shut down Dreadhorde. So with yeah, the combination of the two cards together, they fought out the natural predator of Dreadhorde itself. So It's also that the first half year or something almost of, no, not half year, but a couple of months of Dread of Darkness, Deathrite Shaman was still around and people played like Rixus Deva and stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a thing um, when Renan 6 was around, if I remember correctly, but not as as big of an influential thing as it is right now. Yeah, because it was played obviously loads in the Lurus decks. And that's where people started to think, wow, this card is insane. But I guess it was just overshadowed by Lurus. So it was, it was, so at the beginning, it was probably worse because of Death Rate. And then, um, oh no, Death, it came out after Death Rate's ban, sorry. But um, it was worse because of no, the it came prevalence out in May of Chalice. Yeah. It was worse because of a Chalice. Um, and then with Renna 6, as you say, it's a little bit of play, but Renna 6 and Lurus just completely overshadowed it. And so we didn't really see its full potential. But now we really are. Um, we, we agree we didn't want to like delve too deep into these kind of discussions of bannings and unbannings and stuff. But we are. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Get uh, dig through time back in the in the fold, shall we? Maybe that would uh, deal with Dreadful Darkness. But um, yeah, we're we starting to see it, it dominate as well. <laughs> no, probably not actually. I wonder if Dreadful is better than Dig Through Time. So yeah, we're at this point in the format now where it feels like a kind of funny spot where a lot of people are tired of it. It's going to be interesting to see. I I, I feel like something will eventually change. There's a lot of uh, unhappiness with the format right now mm. there's a lot of back and forth like discussions on twitter arguing and stuff and it just doesn't feel like it can hold out much longer so yeah it's interesting that you know if we look at things i think the card that received the most hate out of everything that was printed during this period that basically was kicked off the treasure darkness i want to say uh, oh for sure oko and oko is not even like in the top two or top three discussion of bannings right now i think the top the top discussion of bannings is, is about Dreadhorde Arcanist, Astrolabe, and Uro. And and only in like fourth position is it Oko. And mm-hmm. that really tells you something about this. Uh, Oko is like uh, banned in pretty much all formats except Legacy and Vintage. And over the last year, Oko has basically been running through this minefield. Like he's blowing away, <laughs> being blown away this format and he's banned in that format. He's like, oh no, but I can make it to Legacy and Vintage. And yeah, nobody talks about Oko. And, and I think... 
I don't even have like strong thoughts about Oko right now because I always feel like, dude, if it really gets too good, I can just like splash it in elves or something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. Dr- Dr- I think Dreaded Arcanist is at the forefront of that. So I I would think maybe, you know, um, the, the only thing is if, if Wizards actually comes in and hits Rock Diver with something, uh, that only ever makes Snowco so much better. But I, I'd rather... Uh, no, I, I can't really fully honestly say that I'd rather play against Snoko than Rock Diver because I think Rock Diver overall is just like a much cooler deck to have around. It's just, I mean, we've talked about this in other episodes before, how how oppressive it can be that you you basically, you have to answer the Strider Arcanist, otherwise the, the game is going to snowball out of control quickly. Whereas with Snoko, you can at least like try to play a game of magic, even if you're a little bit weak early on. But on the other hand, like Snoko is just like miserable magic <laughs> to me, at least. Yeah. So I'm looking for something that freshens up the format. I think any change will actually freshen up the format. Like there is a lot of knock-on effects. So like if you just go through some of the options, if um, just no, in no order at all, if uh, Astrolabe was banned, that's a pretty heavy hit against um, Oko because you don't get all the free 3-3s. Three it really is like a 3-3 three, three every other turn. I like a, a floor. Like obviously, it can still do stuff to creatures. Um, it'll also make casting Uro a lot harder. It'll also make the decks rely on uh, dual lands a lot more. So probably sips to wasteland a bit more. If you ban Oko, then Dreadhood Arcanist gets a lot worse because I think Chalice will come back. Um, obviously, you don't have this inevitability and this easy removal against bigger creatures. So I always thought like against rug based decks, uh, Gomag Angler is like one of the best cards against them. So with no Oko, you could see a return of that kind of style of Delver deck to prey on it. Um, and then if uh, Uro goes, you don't have this like su- like supreme inevitability against stuff, and decks can just grind against you again. Like Oko does just die to removal spells, Uro doesn't. So I think all three, whatever way, if something changes, would have a pretty big impact on the other two. So it's not like I'm not my my mind is not made up that you should just get rid of all of them together. And uh, Dreadhood Darkness, of course, that's the one that has the least effects on the others, but I think is the most oppressive. So. It would be the one I'd like to see go, personally. But I mean, um, I think happens, that you said it best when you talked about Oko. I mean, Oko is banned in other formats for a reason, number one. It's not like it's not like this is the first time we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out which card we should ban, right? Um, I think that, you know, if, if you are taking out Oko, like you said, you're bringing back the ability to chalice and to have big creatures to block these other creatures. I think if I was choosing one piece to start with, maybe Oko is the first one and see how the format reacts. Maybe bigger creatures come back, right? Like you said, uh, Tarmogoyf, uh, Dre- um, Gurmag Angler, etc., uh, Chalice of the Void, and see how the format reacts. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't need to go after the Arcanist if you have access to A, larger creatures, uh, B, Chalice, etc., other artifact backup, um, and kind of go from there. Like, I don't think... Like, I think that hitting Astrolabe as the first card is probably interesting. Yeah, and I agree, like, it, it definitely changes the mana base and makes them more susceptible. I don't know if that takes them apart, though. So. Yeah, I think yeah. Astrolabe would be the lowest impact, which is, I think, a good place to start. But that, but um, it's, like, almost does it do enough, yeah, though. It, is that really how you want to go about it? Like, hit... Is that really how you want to go about it? Um, like hitting the lowest impact yeah, thing? Because then you might end up in a situation where you have to ban the rest anyway and could have actually left Astrolabe unbanned. That's true. Like, 
I don't mind if they go in hard on like one or two cards and they know that it's going to have an effect. And then, I mean, I, I still think Astrolabe is a, like an atrocious card, but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, yeah. You know I, that the legacy I want to play is quite different from uh-huh. what Wizards has been promoting at least over the last one and a half years. Uh, in general, I tend, I think, it, it sounds weird, but I think I've agreed and wanted every single band they have ever made in Legacy, even including Survivor. I'd me. rather have seen them hit Benchmine, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that, that that's a totally different story. And I I always have like this this thing that I truly believe that in the long run Wizards is gonna make the call that feels right to me. That's I, I can't look back at anything they've done with regards to Legacy Bandits that made me feel like oh you screwed up there. I didn't want that to happen. I prefer if Counterbalance was banned and Top was legal. I mean, but, uh, I think that, like, with the Death Rage Helmet ban, don't get me wrong, that hit me pretty hard right in the right in the chest there. Um, I think that perhaps Death Rage Helmet could have been a more balanced card when it was initially printed, so it never needed to get banned, maybe? I don't know. Who knows, right? But I love that card so much. God, miss it. Yeah. I'm happy it's banned now, though, because of all the push, like, three drops. Like, can oh, you Jesus imagine all Christ, the death yeah. one death rights turn to Okos and <laughs> yeah, that would be a little bit fairies and stuff? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm putting yeah. my vote towards Oko, but again, I, th- I think I agree with you, Julian. I, on the whole, have actually been you know people give Wizards of the Coast a pretty hard time and stuff, but I struggle to find many things I disagree with about their banning as well. They've been very fast with breach and they're fast with companions, but in the past they've been quite slow with things and methodical, and I I quite like that. So maybe we are seeing that now because the interesting thing is Delver and Snow, people hate the play patterns, which I think is a very fair and valid complaint. But um, Joe Dyer, who's ex, uh, XP Volreth, he's been collecting all the data from the challenges for a while. And now there's always this thing about how much data do you need to actually have a reasonable conclusion? So there's always a problem with uh, lack of it and stuff. But he's starting to collate it together and we are constantly seeing roughly 50 or just above 50% win rate in a lot of events and together there are some events where it was much higher there was like some 60 percent 60 percent with rug delver in the man trader series and stuff but we are not seeing the win rates um like kind of match our perception of how how good they are it's just that the decks are being played so much and it's it's very much an online thing as well i think paper players won't play it as much and we this is the only results we're getting currently so Maybe Wizards is taking this approach where, like, they're not seeing the numbers that need a ban, but they do eventually listen to public reaction as well. And I think that could be enough to take action because uh, Inverter and Pioneer had a 49% win rate, which has become subject to a meme because it was uh, quoted by Wizard of the Coast why it wasn't banned. And then they eventually banned it because they were, like, very clearly seeing numbers of players drop online, especially because people hate to play against the deck. So I think, yeah. Oh, you were going to say? Uh, so I was just going to finish off saying that there is precedent for them to ban something based on public displeasure of the format, which I think we are... It's been a grind. It's, it's exactly in like the snow mentality, isn't it? But we're slowly grinding to this uh, <laughs> unhappiness with the format. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a change in the new year. But personally, I I can't really decide which one. I, I don't really have a good answer, but I can see merit to all of them. As well. Yeah, it's interesting that we talk about um, it's not only about the numbers and about the win percentages, but also like about just like play experience and play patterns. Because do, you can definitely have, and I mean, we've had that in the past, 
decks and and states of the format where nothing is like overpowered but the overall play patterns are just like less enjoyable than they would be without yeah. those cards and that's i think what's happened a couple of times in the format that's actually a, a, a real big theme of the last couple of years of bands especially because initially it always used to be just like about overpowered stuff but these days th- this is like a very real effect and i think a lot of people are locking themselves into like seeing the broader picture by just looking at and win percentages it's also interesting wizards actually quoted or referred to that kind of dissatisfaction when they talked about why they are not banning astrolabe i think was it earlier this year or even yeah. the end of last year they, they did say they, they keep an eye on it which is yeah they were saying they 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 see that people um the community is like dissatisfied with the play patterns that emerge from this card but they are not yet seeing the numbers and you know that that's when like we talked about hey we should all just like play astrolabe decks and on magic online and do really well with them to like maybe also like give them a reason to ban it because it sounded like they were kind of gonna ban it but then i also felt like yeah but we you gotta justify it somehow and you know maybe they're gonna pull an inverter with regards to something i, yeah. I would actually be interested to, to see the actual numbers because for all the work that Wild XP is doing, like Wizards has numbers that are probably like a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand times like more precise, oh, totally. considering they get to measure basically all of Magic Online. And dude, I'd pay good money to to see those numbers. <laughs> oh like, yeah, so same. incredibly interesting. I think, I, I think we are. I think the the data that Joe is collecting is probably quite representative. If if that's what they're saying, they said they're keeping an eye on Astrolabe, and the numbers don't reflect it. And now we're finally seeing this fairly solid 50 just about 50 percent win rate um they banned renin six off the back of 55 percent win rate which doesn't sound crazy high but um they also base it on things like they referenced that rug devil with renin six was favored against nine out of the top 10 decks which is pretty absurd so <laughs> there are other factors not just numbers as well but um yeah we do, we just don't re- we we have all these little insights but we have uh, like insights of them banning stuff off pure numbers um, like Zerda was banned without even the numbers. They just said, this deck is showing a super high win rate. We're not going to tell you what it is, but it's banned. And no one even re-expected it. It was like a little bit of a discussion, but yeah. So This is, this is like is so bad. We don't even dare to tell you. Yeah, because yeah. Then our superiors I mean, might now and we get shit. You don't even want to know how much this deck wins. You can't handle the truth, players. Because XJ and I played Zerda, that Turbo Khan deck, in one of the showcase qualifiers as well. And uh, our, our testing leading up to it was like, we just kept trying random stuff and kept 5-0-ing with everything random. I was playing like, I did a league with four Thornoxes in the sideboard, which you can't play with Zerda. Like, and then was 5-0-ing and there was stuff like that. Like The deck was absurd and we didn't really th- even think about it getting banned because it was obvious Lurus was the one. But then... Yeah, I, I think the Bant deck probably was putting up a lot of results as well. So, yeah, anyway, swinging back to it, this is, um, we. I think this is just a case of waiting it out and see what Wizards of the Coast put out next. I think it's a hopefully inevitable thing. See what they say. Yeah, I, I'm going to be excited to see what 2021 brings. I'm always relentlessly optimistic about like the state of legacy that's going to get better from like something I don't enjoy that much. And yeah, so yeah, I, I'm pretty optimistic about that. I will say, like, on the tail end of it, there are still loads of ways to enjoy Legacy. Um, I think people are really feeling the effect of not having paper events to play as well because your local game store and playing with friends is where a lot of the, the more casual side happened, and that's what a lot of people found fun about the format. Like, I don't consider myself a very competitively-minded person at the end of the day. I like doing well in bigger events, and I play in them online especially, but I enjoy the silly stuff, and you can still do that. It's just really hard to do that in leagues currently, so we are 
feeling the frustration of just constantly playing against these these uh, these cards that we don't enjoy playing against because you don't have this um, retreat to go and play with friends as much. So with that back in yeah. the fold next year as well, it might it might change perceptions a little bit. And I know exactly what Matt is actually going to be playing next year. Siege Rhino! <laughs> Are you seeing the deck I put in the show notes? The one that almost finished yeah, my top 8 of the last Legacy Challenge oh, by baby. Overhaul in ninth place? If this thing doesn't get you into Magic Online, then I, I have no I idea mean, what does. I mean, it, it does look pretty exciting. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. So just to give people an idea, it's basic. The shell is an, um, a Yorian Nickfit, which, okay. <laughs> you would think, like, what, what the fuck is going on there? But then they are running three Academy Rector and three Arena Rector. And also three Opposition Agent, which I guess goes well with Veteran Explorer, does it actually? I don't remember the exact wording, but it might. I don't know. You had me at Veteran Explorer plus and, stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, let's be real. I mean, the... Yeah. It's <laughs> also mean, playing the- a... Yeah, it's also playing a living witch package, and it also like it has like astrolabe to to make everything work. And then uh, for the enchantments and the planeswalkers that you can rector into, you got Kaya Ursa for Serpa, you got Ugi in the Spirit Dragon, Raska Gogari Queen, and the enchantments are Curse of Death Hold, Curse of Misfortunes, Duskscape, Omniscience, yes. Overwhelming Splendor, and three Pernicious Deeds. Dude, this is this is just amazing. This I I want to see this in action, Matt. You seriously, you you gotta come online. You get gotta get one of your card holders subscriptions and then you you gotta hit the leaks of this deck i mean this has been around for a little while like this sort of like arena rector academy rector version uh not with yorin though which is interesting so i'm i'm interested to have uh, a few of those extra cards and the nice thing about magic online is i don't have to shuffle this 80 card double sleeved monstrosity so that's kind of good I'm waiting for the day when they're actually going to release sleeves. I was actually always joking about sleeves on Magic Online, but then they actually did it on Arena, where you can actually like buy sleeves from them. There's so. always skins. <laughs> There's that. Always skins. Dude, I wonder if they're ever going to like do a complete overhaul of Magic Online, but I, I, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. But yeah, this deck, this deck is exciting. I also like that it plays Field of the Dead, because that actually gives you some real game against you know all these, these snow decks. Field of the Dead, probably one of the best cards against um, the Snow Decks, if you can make it work. We've only really seen it in Dryad Stumpy and Legacy lately, and I guess that, uh, yeah, they also play Titan, so that's where how they enable it. But yeah, this is this is, this is is some serious spice. I, I wonder whether they actually fixed... Is it Curse of Misfortunes? Is that the one that, that was kind of yeah. bugged for a long time? I think it's fixed. Oh, good. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this is we're gonna link that one in the show notes because that deck really stuck out to me. It even plays like one Emrak with the Aeon's turn in the sideboard. Well, what's even the point of that? Is it like for show and tell? Or I guess you can cast it with Omniscience. No, no, no. Obviously, what you do is you Living Wish for the Emrakul and then you cast <laughs> it off the Omniscience. That's the like. Come on, that's the line. Take come on, your turn. Like then you play Ugit. Like come on, man. Come on. I, I bet you would cut something from the sideboard and see Trino there. Here, or there, 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 there must be a way. <laughs> What do you mean? I mean, opposition agent. Eh, fine. Do I need this? Could be three seats right now. I'm just saying. I agree. Dude, that's amazing. Um, Callum was also just like talking about how, how great it is to play at your LGS and how a lot of people are actually missing out on that lately, or have been out on that for basically the entire year these days. And I have some thoughts about like how Paper Matching 2021 might come back, how it should come back, how it could come back. And that's basically what everybody's been talking about lately right what what can we do what should wizards do what should like third party organizers do and i was recently actually watching the the chess stream of you know hikaru nakamura one of the biggest ambassadors for chess also one of the best players in the world and he said something really interesting about chess 
And he said that he thinks over-the-board chess, I guess that's the equivalent to paper magic, is not really going to come back in the same way that it used to be, like, you know, this prime outlet for, for chess. Because everything has moved online, and online is so much more seamless, and it's it's where, where chess happens. And that was actually quite surprising to me. I guess you would still see something like, you know, the World Championships in chess, because that's such a big deal. Um, you would see that in paper, in paper over the board, I think. But he, he, he sounded like really convinced uh, that he doesn't think paper, I'm going to call it paper, whatever chess, is going to come back anywhere close to what it used to be. And I wonder if that's something that might also happen in Magic because... Disagree. You disagree. Yeah, well, you hear me out. Um, when I say that... No, I no, th- no. Okay. <laughs> okay, we can't just end the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I'll, no. Go ahead and then I will refute whatever you say. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> What I think would be a good place for for paper magic to come back is basically there's three aspects of it. And first of all, that's the regional play. And I think regional play used to be quite important. Like, you know, we had like national championships. We we had like even like German state championships. And I guess in the US they also had like state championships. But these days they're more like done by SEG, if anything. But over the years, I think that aspect of magic has lost a lot of importance uh, to the point where it, in a lot of places it doesn't even exist anymore. So if you ask me, the best way to bring back magic would be to really, really, really strengthen the regional aspect. You know, not only your LGS, but your greater region, whether it's your state or your province or whatever. And like, depending on how big your country is, maybe even like on a national level. But I think if you brought back that, that would be absolutely amazing because not only is that much easier to participate and to play in, it's still basically gets your your fix for the game on a bigger level than it's just like you know your eight man legacy tur- i mean we're talking about legacy but your eight man fnm tournaments anywhere and that would just be so amazing if some of that would happen and i i'd love for that to come back but there would need to be somebody who would really like push for this whether that's a third party organizer which is probably kind of hard to find right now because people don't really want to like risk their money on that so i was hoping that wizards could do something to to you know strengthen regional play that's of all the things i want to say that would be one of the coolest things to ever happen to magic and then the other two aspects are international play you know like gps and then pro play but before i get to that maybe let's hear some of matt's thoughts I mean, actually, now that I heard you out, I kind of agree. So. Oh, there's value, dude. Uh, <laughs> there's value in this. Yeah, so, <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes. So, like, I, I think that, like, for example, this uh, gentleman's uh, chess analogy about, like, how it'll probably move all online. Like, obviously, there there are so many differences between magic and chess. Obviously, the cards, the gathering, etc. Um, you know, the value, the collectability, etc. Will I think we we will get paper magic back. And I think... For a lot of people who at least started playing a long time ago, like like I definitely prefer paper. I'm sure all of you, even though you play online, the you know the two of you, I mean you probably prefer paper. Am I right? Yeah. So maybe maybe I should also be clear. I think the way I understand and understood uh, Hikaru on that is he's basically talking about top level play, like you know, oh, would okay. be the equivalent to stuff like pro tours and stuff. Mm, okay. So I think, yeah, I think though the regional play as, as, yeah, I was basically going to say, like, I think like the, at the grassroots level locally, not only at your local store, but like you said, uh, those regional events are definitely going to be key. And I think getting those back up and going and getting people interested again and supporting your local game store is extremely important. And I think that's the way to do it. 
Yeah, I, so I, I I agree with you. So continue talking, and then I will keep yeah. possibly agreeing with you. So basically, basically that's level one of of what I'd love to see in matching. I've actually I, I I've talked about this even before COVID brought everything to a stop because I think that's the way we set the different tiers of events that you could play in as a player coming up wasn't always the greatest thing to basically go from your like what's the next step up from your FNM. It's it's basic. I guess there used to be PTQs and stuff. So. That's something that existed, but with everything that has changed, it's, I, I'm not even going to pretend that I know how that system works anymore. And it's also like more rather closed to people who only play really like the, the really competitive formats like standard and stuff. So what, what I want to say is for a lot of people like us, especially the next level was the GP and traveling to a GP is a really big deal unless it's like in your, in your neighborhood or something. And that doesn't really happen in Germany anymore, I guess. So... It, it's also a bit intimidating. I've traveled with people who went to their first GP and they always said that it was somewhat intimidating and wasn't like this, oh yeah, cool, I'm going to the GP because I can suddenly remember my first GP in 2010. I thought everybody I'm going to play, they're like the best. They're the best from their region. They travel to this international tournament. I will never forget when I played in GP, GP Metro 2010 and I played against this guy on Canadian Threshold and I figured, oh my God, he's playing Canadian Threshold and he's Italian, but he's in Spain. He must be the best Italian Canadian Threshold player. And then I look it up later on and this ELO is like way down and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I overall, I'd love to have much more focus on the regional aspect where, you know, you travel and you come back maybe on the same day or maybe, you know, you sleep for a night and you come back the next day or something. If that was more emphasized, that would be amazing. And then have GPs. But I think a big issue with GPs has been that because they needed to be tied into this whole, um, what's it called? Organized process. play system. Yeah, organized yeah, it, play. Because, yeah. yeah, because they needed to have this tie-in with the organized play thing. There was always like really weird decisions they had to make. And we, we had like so many GPs all over the world. But I'd rather have it in a way that's, and I've talked about this before on a podcast, I'm, I'm pretty sure, that we'd have much fewer GPs, but still evenly distributed, right? It's not like, oh, we're going to have fewer GPs, which means like 80% are going to be US, 10% is Europe, and then 10% Asia, and everybody's like, fuck, no, that's not what I want. I want but fewer but they are the go-to event of the year maybe you're gonna have you know three gps in europe i mean don't even think in terms of gps we probably wouldn't even call them gps or anything they are the next level up from playing at your regional thing if you want to and they are for anyone they are not a standard gp they are not like a limited gp or a legacy gp they are where you just go if you really want to play on your highest level that that you can and basically get that still get that same cheapy experience where you meet all your friends from all over europe and stuff and yeah that's that's something i'd love to see implemented you can play the big legacy tournament you can play the big standard tournament whatever because that's how it used to be in a way for quite a long while at least in europe i remember we would travel you know to gp vienna 2007 or 8 i don't even remember then like other events just because there was this big legacy tournament on the weekend like this really really big legacy tournament on the weekend and that's where you travel to and in a way that kind of gets your fix for like the regional play because at least for us when we went to vienna that that was kind of that even though that's for a four-hour drive and americans would say oh that's just like you know down the block but yeah i i'd love to see fewer gps and we probably wouldn't even call them GPs, but make them this big, awesome event that everybody wants to go to. And I think Wizards has kind of tried to make it like that with their like 
revamping on the, of the concept with magic fests but because they were still tied to you know organized play and everything they they still needed like this big main event and that's i, I don't think that's the future of magic and that of course feeds into the question so what is organized play gonna be like and this is where basically my idea of organized play is incredibly radically different from what wizards has been doing for basically all of its existence I just really, really strongly believe that your top-level organized play would be better handled if it was entirely done third-party, which is kind of crazy and probably something that Wizards would feel horribly about, like, giving away, giving out of their hand. It's It boils down to the discussion in general esports between the open and the closed system, you know, how, how for some games the, the publisher is the one who controls all the big tournaments. And then, for example, when you look at CSGO with Worf, um, they, they just, like, they let anyone do whatever they want, and then you, you got, like, different tournament organizers, like like ESL or what have you, and they run those big tier top-tier events. Not only as organizers, but it's the owner of that thing. And that would be an amazing thing to see implemented. Um, it would also put away a lot of pressure that Wizards has put on themselves to basically enable the pro player grinder lifestyle, which is a concept that, especially in the last two years, really hasn't worked out for them. Because, I mean, that, that, that it sounds unfair and I don't want to ramble too much, but I think what Wizards has cultivated is a culture of boringness where people just like grind and then you, you you know you got people like Andrea Mangucci, you got Javi Dominguez, like those people who really stick out because they have character. But there's not really much incentive to to be entertaining in the magic community at the very top level. And I mean part of that is if you look at like the the MPL and you you barely recognize any of those names because the, the, those people are not boring people, right? I, I don't even know them personally, but they are boring brands. They are not entertainers. And that's part not, li- not like you, Julian. Well, I, I I wouldn't consider myself an entertainer, but I, I think I have thought a lot of thoughts about how to make the entire experience a better thing for the community. And the idea is how do you support yourself if Wizards doesn't provide that kind of money? And the way it generally works in esports is that just your org supports you. You you get either a salary or something. And if all of that is not enough to make it work, then magic just can't sustain. Like Magic will probably only be able to sustain oh so many people to really fully dedicate to the game. And I think the only way to make that work is to to actually be a brand and stream and like have good articles, have videos on Channel Fireball. And then you can maybe make a living. But in the end, the game and how entertaining the game is decides how much money you can earn. And not only like Wizards marketing budget that like heavily feeds into supporting a rather boring, bland, top tier I think magic. they, re- I think they relied on big uh, prizes, like the flashiness of "Oh my God, here's a tournament with one hundred thousand dollars as the prize pool." I think they thought that, that would get a much bigger reaction from the public and watching stuff. But actually, you're exactly right. Like, there's nothing exciting other than that, and people are just like, "Okay, well, that's cool, but how can I get there?" And it's really hard. And there's, there was no clear way for even like previous gold pros to get to that spot, let alone the average person like there was always that magic dream that was sold of like you know play the game see the world is the, is what they used to tell but now it's like play the game and and what <laughs> what do you do with it there's people don't even know what the pro tools called now it's they're constantly changing <laughs> things like i even i had like little aspirations i was like okay i'll play a ptq here and there i just have no idea how anything works and absolutely zero interest in trying anymore like, I just don't play PTQs online now because I have no interest in qualifying in the slightest. So it's just a waste of time and money when you can do 
you can just play it normally anyway. Um, I love. I love. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah. that's an important point. If you if you look at other like I, I say esports and that's always just like oh are we esports like whatever let's call it competitive gaming whatever I don't care but ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who play all these other games let it be League of Legends let it be CS:GO whatever they also have no aspirations to become you know a top tier pro they just really enjoy it for what it is a competitive game mm-hmm. and I think that's what basically all of us are doing in Magic. That's what you need to cultivate though from the Wizards of the Coast perspective because I mean in the past you were having over 2,000 person GPs pretty consistently and um, I mean way more than that and uh, 4,000 like, I think at some point. Yeah 4,000 is from the biggest yeah. like they were really popping off and um, and because it was partly because there was this promise of like big GP weekends as well as you said the big side events I remember them really fondly and there was just more excitement about the game as a whole. The people playing the GPs didn't even have, you don't need to have this grinder mentality aspiration, but you just need to have something at the end that you kind of want to play for. And now that that was getting completely lost towards the end of it, before COVID hit, you were seeing GP numbers go down. I mean, the the cut from coverage was huge. I mean, I'm still annoyed about it. I would watch GP coverage every single weekend. I was super annoyed yeah. as well. I just wanted to try. I was like... You know when I felt like I'd lost, like a best friend had just died. I was so upset about it, and it's just such a huge, huge loss for the whole thing because that was what people wanted as well. They wanted to go to GPs. They wanted to do well. They wanted to get on coverage. It was so cool to do well at GP because you might have that happen, and you get talked about and stuff. And then losing that side of it. I mean, I think I saw the numbers drop off so hard from that. But it, that was only one of the part of the things that went wrong. Um, yeah. So I think. I mean, that was part of their move towards a top-heavy MPL league structure, which, as Julian said, has really worked out badly for them, at least from the outside looking in. Maybe they are actually getting good numbers from it, but I, I doubt it. And so I'd love to see... I, I think mean, their streaming you... numbers are atrocious. When, when yeah. they stream all these, I don't even know what their card events. Yeah. They, they, they scrapped like... the MPL weekly things. They used to do that every week, and the players hated it. No one was watching it. Commentators weren't in, enthusiastic. It was... It was a disaster, really. And it all seems to be like a disaster. So, I don't know. We can have hope that they'll just kind of roll stuff back and overhaul it. And I think the way you've suggested is great. Like, regional play would be so good. Um, and just more third-party events as well. And, like, just more... They could do so much more with paper play if and when it comes back. I think it'll take a long time to come back to GP level, at least, if they come back. Yeah, I think it would be a great thing if people... Or the entire you know, community, there was more, not only awareness, but also willingness to go outside this whole DCI thing. Because I always used to be like, oh, dude, if this tournament is not sanctioned, that's not a real tournament. I, w- I wasn't even interested in it anymore. But when I think about it, that's just like the way of the future to have like these third party tournaments. It doesn't really need to be third party organized. When I think about like before COVID, we started uh, organizing our own legacy events in, in Freising, which is like the suburb of Munich. And we, we started out having like eight people or nine or whatever and i think these days like before covid um, we got to something like let me say 20 25 like people would like there were several cars from other cities coming over just because they wanted to play legacy and that's a great thing and like nobody cares that this is not dci sanctioned anymore no. why because people have fully realized that this whole pro thing like is totally whatever unless you like i i, I honestly don't know who actually comes into the game these days and thinks oh i wanna i wanna be in the mpl and i'm i'm not there yet but i will get there i mean there's people who do that and that's great and there should always be like a way to to really strive for the very top but i think 
yeah. wizards has milked that dream quite a lot and when people are waking up to the reality that that's just like whatever yeah i mean part of that like qualifying for the pro tour and stuff that was like obviously massively part of the prizes as well so if you're getting people to pay 50 60 euros to play in an event where you need to like uh, top 100 to get money back and stuff you do need prizes there and so if you take away the pro tour side of it then you need to ramp it up with money the money was already pretty bad honestly so you do need something at the end of it but i agree like we did the same thing in london so we were having every single month we were having 45 50 people for legacy that's amazing yeah i gotta come to london yeah because this thing so we started out as well in a smaller pub in the middle of london and the first event was like capped at 25 30 people and i was really nervous that we would like we were getting it for free but i was nervous that we'd have very few people and no one would do it and uh, we capped it and everyone turned up and then just consistently every single month we had 50 people and uh yeah continuing that we've gone to different venue and stuff but we were just getting 50 people every month and it was just amazing and we did proxies allow which was a huge thing and we got so many new people into legacy so oh i'm just so 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 excited to get them starting up again yeah like ever since you told me about these events that you're running i'm I'm so desperate to actually like really just catch a flight to, to London because yeah. somehow Munich London is quite the, the cheap connection totally. and and get some vlogging done like I, I really want to do like is it called vlogging or vlogging I think vlogging everyone vlogging, calls it vlogging yeah. I just outed myself <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, that, that's just like so so many amazing things going on in, in the, the private organized community and I yeah I, I, I want to shine a much bigger spotlight on that in the mm-hmm. next year if basically COVID allows for that I think that will be the way things go I think exactly what Matt said we're going to see grassroots kind of um, small events and third party organizers start up because I it's going to take a much longer time for like convention halls to get back to being open again and being okay and uh, Wizards of the Coast probably don't even want to put the money into that kind of thing until they're confident that people want to come they might even want to do this whole overhaul so I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of events uh, when we, we can do it again. That's could this be- could this be us? Could 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 we be one of those? I wonder. Yeah. Find out more. Put it under the Everyday Eternal <laughs> thing. We we our London events are called LLM's Legacy, London Legacy Monthly. It's LLM has become a, a thing for people all over the country. Limited say, liability monthly, whatever. <laughs> no, that sounds way more boring. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no, guys, I'm I'm really excited for for everything that 2021 has to bring, both with regards to changes in legacy, but also with regards to to changes, you know, in the in the greater picture that Same. is experiencing magic. Because because all of our podcasts have been because we do we do try and focus on the slightly more competitive side of the format, but um, as soon as like paper events hit up again, we'll totally be covering stuff like that as well. Like we have covered the only paper event that happened during COVID, I think, the Italian one four seasons so as soon as stuff um, starts happening again we can talk about it and talk about the actual fun atmosphere and the people interactions and stuff rather than oh here they played a third oku in this spot so yeah i'm excited for that you just lost a lot of friends in china by saying we covered the only paper went oh my god there was that huge one i'm sorry yes sorry everyone yeah yeah. Ah. as well as japan (laughs) there there, there was a few i i just um, remembered the one that we covered on the podcast but yeah there was a few actually yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited for. I believe is it Jeremy? Is his yeah, name? the two hundred, the one hundred k. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. one. The one out in Nebraska, uh, close Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. We all, we all, all three of us have tickets. for We it. all signed up. Yep. Yeah, we've all. Got oh, you it. signed up for it as well, Matt? Oh, dude, it would be amazing to see you again. Yeah, 
I think I was definitely on the on the list, and I definitely paid. I have to find my receipt for it. I don't remember where that would be, but PayPal. That's actually probably like the highest stakes legacy tournament ever, right? Two hundred dollars entry for ten thousand dollars. Wall. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So I would definitely, I'm definitely interested that when that actually does happen, you know, assuming vaccine rollout and you know everything gets yeah. back, like I, I will be there. I have, I have faith in Jeremy. He's, he's very, uh, from what I can tell, I've never met him obviously, but he's very um, cautious about. It. He's cancelled all the other events and he's working towards shifting this at a time where it'll be okay and stuff. So, yeah, I'm very confident it'll happen, but just when it's okay to do. I didn't. I didn't hear it from him directly, but somebody told me that they talked to him and they and he basically said he's hosting it as soon as it's safe. So yeah, he, he's not saying oh we're gonna do it there and then he's gonna have to reschedule because nobody can really tell right now. But yeah, exactly. I'm I'm I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. Same. Rent a castle. <laughs> and probably not too many castles in Missouri. Yeah, true. <laughs> don't they have like this, this fast food place, like there White sh- Castle or something? There should be there should be a McMansion we can rent. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, that's gonna be great. That's really gonna be great. So, thank you so much to everyone who's been listening to our ramblings, to our Siege Rhino praises, to anything really this year or the past years. It's amazing how much the podcast has grown in this year, how much you, like every one of you, is really enabling us to do. And I, I really can't wait to release the, the, the website that I've been working on with men because that's going to be a really big thing. And like I said, next year, Everyday Channel is going to be so much more than just a podcast. So definitely look out for that. And definitely consider like all the help that you've provided th- to us, be it through you know, Patreon, leaving reviews on, on iTunes or really just spreading the word that's I, I keep saying that but that's really the biggest thing spreading the word about the podcast that's that helps us out so much so thank you for that and se- also thank you by the way oh dude we, we got like a new patreon invasion this week we, we've got three new patrons we got dan patterson severin schwarzuber and oh have you heard about this guy tom the gator 77 hap I've, I've heard about this guy i've heard before. about him and i've just been tagged in a discord about him making fun of me so <laughs> no thank thank you all i love you <laughs> that, that seems to be a common occurrence in, in the depth the depth discord which i hear is like a pretty pretty big anti kellum it's just it's just dunking on me constantly and yeah i i deal with it it's my self-flagellation by going back in there every now and then <laughs> and i just wanted to put a shout out to if anyone knows where the original siege rhino artwork is Tweet to Julian. <laughs> Send it to Dude, him. You've got your own Twitter account that you barely ever use, man. Actually, let me well, look up. Yeah, that's why. When's your last tweet? Your your Twitter account is SDE Matt. I, I just spoiled it. Um, SDE Probably underscore Matt. 2015? 2016. You posted your fucking shoe collection, <laughs> man, and it has like, I'm not even going to start to count. <laughs> that it has changed. It has grown so much since then. Oh, and you posted your ties. I'll, I can post an update. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, think I, have, if, I have three pairs of shoes. <laughs> Is, do you have more than three? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, so, you know, my, my, my little niece is four years old and she probably couldn't count as high as, as Matt has pairs of shoes. Nice. I gotta say they look pretty, pretty nice though. Yes, they are. <laughs> of course. Thank so, you yeah, to that's... everyone who does not brush their teeth. I very much appreciate it. COVID has been <laughs> excellent for business. The mask does not mean... You don't brush your teeth, okay? So, thank you so much to everyone. Thank you especially to our Eternal Witness tier supporters, Tommy Hinks, Trent Browers, and Testacular, who also, by the way, played in the Legacy Showcase qualifier. And our Grizzlebrand supporters, Victor Bernhardt, Bachubat, Scott Monroe, Kurdish Aliste, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, 
and Tom Hepp. Thanks to everyone listening. Have a great time. Have a happy new year. Celebrate in ways that I guess are possible. And see you again next year, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. Party like it's 1999.